Welcome to But Her Lyrics, the show where we delve into the meaning and politics behind each song from the new War on Women album, Wonderful Hell. I'm Shauna Potter, singer and lyricist for War on Women, and your host. Black Lives Matter. I've said it before on this show that matter is the minimum, and yet it still must be said. Today we're tackling White Lies, track five of Wonderful Hell. It's about the whitewashing of the cannabis industry, police violence against communities of color, and how the drug war has been used as an excuse to profile and profit off of these communities. I want to give a warning to any black, brown, or indigenous people listening. You know, you just might not have the energy for this episode. It makes sense if you're feeling exhausted and you think another chat about racism will be helpful for you. So feel free to turn this off. Or you can skip ahead and just join us for the band interviews, which come after my interview with Cassia Graham from Canaclusive, an organization that fights for a more equitable cannabis industry. But white people, you better listen to this whole thing. Believe it or not, I was writing and editing this podcast on April 20th. No, really. (laughs) While I'm kind of bummed that our weed song wasn't ready to post on 420, you know, talk about a missed opportunity, It's way more important to note that I've been working on this episode during the trial of Derek Chauvin, a former Minneapolis police officer charged with the murder of George Floyd, a horrific incident that sparked protests around the world in 2020. And just before I started recording this bit right here, he was found guilty on all counts. We do need to celebrate the wins when they come. For our mental health, you know, and to make it easier to keep fighting. But this is basic accountability something that should be standard, and frankly, a position we shouldn't even fucking be in. According to the New York Times, since testimony of Chauvin's trial began on March 29th, at least 64 people have died at the hands of law enforcement nationwide, with Black and Latino people representing more than half the dead. I've got some more numbers for you, too. In 2018, 40% of drug arrests were for cannabis. In 2017, there were more arrests for cannabis possession than all violent crimes combined. Black Americans are four times as likely to be arrested for cannabis violations, even though both black and white people use it equally. Some people are serving life in prison for a drug that is legal in some form in 33 states. I live in so-called Baltimore on Pescatawe land, And the disparity is clear here. I've been here long enough to witness the slow and partial legalization, um, to see every neighborhood have its own cannabis shop pop up. None that I know of are Black-owned. All the while, a disproportionate amount of Black and brown people are sitting in jail for minor drug offenses and are less likely to have equal access to small business loans to start their own shop. It's fucking appalling. So... I'm thrilled that I got a chance to talk with Cassia Graham. Cassia does a great job of showing us just what a clusterfuck the cannabis industry can be, how volatile it is, not only due to the racist history of the police and the drug war in the U.S., but also the frustrations that come with each state and our federal government all having their own policies that don't always work with each other. It's ridiculous. Luckily... She lays it all out for us. 
interview time! Kasia. Yes, hi. Thank you so much for joining me on my little show. You are a really busy person, it seems. Yeah. Um, can you introduce yourself to everyone and tell us a little bit about all the different projects you're involved in? Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, hi, everyone. Um, my name is Cassia. My pronouns are she, her, they, them. Hmm. I'm just like, what do I not do? Currently, <laughs> right. I am um, <laughs> the... Director of Community and Digital at Canaclusive. That's a cannabis advocacy and um, marketing branding DEI uh, collective. I am also the lead on the Cannabis for Black Lives leadership team. And that's an offshoot of Canaclusive where we basically get the cannabis industry into giving back directly to those um, communities impacted by the war on drugs by supporting equity-based cannabis businesses. Um, I'm also on Broccoli Magazine's Florette Coalition, and it's also within the cannabis industry. But this time, um, we have organizations give directly back to um, companies that are, sorry, organizations that are doing the work like right on the ground. So we have worked with um, the Equitable Giving Circle, um, Black Feast, which is basically about like cultivating Black joy, especially during these rough times. The Adobe mm. Healing Shelter in Navajo Nation. Uh, we just basically run the gamut and, and try to give back to folks who um, are in need. And um, not lastly, but I guess maybe the last thing I'll, I'll talk about is um, my work as a co-producer with the Black X Film Festival. So that is a film festival that centers um, Black queer folks. And it's been like quite the pleasure to work on it. Um, and it's coming up a bit later this year. And then outside of that stuff, uh, my regular gig is as a freelance digital strategist. I mean, that kind of, your life sounds like being in a band where you have like 10 different jobs and... <laughs> It's like all the things you care about, but then also something to pay the rent with. And yes, um, it's it's amazing that you balance it all. Yeah, I mean, it can be a, a feat sometimes, but like I really enjoy what it is that I do. It's it's pretty rewarding. And Florette Co Coalition is like the cutest name I've ever heard too. I I named it. <laughs> oh my gosh! I, well, I'm obviously talking to the right person. <laughs> um. What led you to focusing your racial justice lens onto the cannabis industry? I feel like there's probably a story there. How did I end up at Canaclusive? So Canaclusive was founded by Mary Pryor, Tanya Rapley Flash, and Charlize Antoinette Jones, I think roughly 2017. Um, what happened is they were trying to like, you know, get their foot in the cannabis industry. And they all like ended up in LA for one reason or another. Um, and they were finding that it was just really difficult because all the rooms they were walking into were older, whiter, male, and moneyed. And they didn't come from those backgrounds. And it was just very difficult for them to like, you know, have people pay attention. And these are all like, you know, really accomplished. Um, women that are that are doing this but at the same time it was just because they didn't come from like you know that quote-unquote pedigree and weren't bros they were not um, you know given that respect so 
then they also just realize that the space, while, um, you know, Black, Indigenous, Latina people were promised equity, like that just was not happening. So they created Can Inclusive basically to help um, people get a foot in the door just by providing resources and then also making sure that consumers were, were both um, recognized on the policy side, so helping people get more involved with that and also doing policy work. And then also just from the visual perspective, we were tired of seeing those images of just, you know, a particular type of black stoner or, um, and as, mm. as a Jamaican American, I'm always like offended because, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, oh, well, it's like, you know, a black guy in a Rasta cap and he's like smoking a spliff. And, and that's like people's idea of black people with cannabis versus, you know, like lawyers, doctors, um, right. you know folks in entertainment and not just on like, you know, not just rappers, but who consume the plant, whether it's for adult use uh, purposes or, you know, for medical issues. Um, I'm a two-time cancer survivor and um, I also had a stem cell transplant on top of that. So Uh, what was that last part? A stem cell transplant. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So, but my own cells, thankfully, um, although I still ended up with allergies, which is very strange. Um, sometimes when you get a stem cell transplant, you can end up with someone else's allergies. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, understand the purpose of the plant and also just coming from um, being Jamaican, having a granduncle who's a Rastafarian, me and my mom <laughs> used to make uh, tinctures and, and, and topicals and such from cannabis so it's always been like a part of my life. Um, of course, when I was older, uh, when I was in my teens, I definitely experimented. Um, and then when I was older, uh, like my 20s and 30s, primarily for like sleep and pain. And then the cancer in my, that came in like my mid late 30s, that was like when I really uh, delved more into it. You have such a, a strong connection to it uh medically and culturally yeah um it's very clear now (laughs) why this is such a big part of your life why you're doing such great work for people um what would you say to someone uh who doesn't even really know that there's a problem with equity in the cannabis industry like where where would you start Hmm. well it depends on who is asking (laughs) If let's it, let's say a random white person that doesn't even smoke. Okay, so um, <laughs> definitely, I think that folks should first start by checking any kind of privilege or assumptions that they have, um, and then I think listening to those who've been affected by the war on drugs, like mm-hmm. that's definitely paramount. Um, and I mean. Most any black or brown person who's grown up in, you know, um, a large city is typically someone who may have endured it. Um, I think they have to realize that equity is um, something that benefits everyone. So no one's going to be losing if you are, you know, treating people with like basic human decency. That's basically what equity is. 
and a lot of people that's that's lost on them because even people who are not in the industry or who are not considering going into the industry get upset about equity and I'm just like it literally doesn't affect you in any which way even if you're in the industry the only way that it affects you is that it's saying that you cannot be is that like you should reconsider how it is that you're moving through the industry if you are in the industry and you have the ability to create jobs are you making sure that people who've been affected by the war on drugs, people who are formerly incarcerated, people who do not have like the capital or may not necessarily have like the necessary formal education to be in the in- industry, but know their shit, you know, mm-hmm. are you going to be helping to uplift those people? And while I love bud-, bud tenders, I think they're fantastic. They are like the heart of cannabis, I feel you also have to be able to promote people beyond the managerial level. So they're at the director level. They are not just, you know, the whole seat at the table thing. I'm like, they have to have a voice while they're at that table. And then you have to listen to that voice. Yeah. You know, so I think that that's something that's very important. Oftentimes we'll put up a post that's about equity and we'll get like the odd like white person on there who is like, you know, like we're all human, we're all, and it's just like, okay, well, yeah, we're, I know that we're all human. I, I paid attention in biology classes very well. However, I know that we are not all treated well and it is not a feeling, it is not an emotion, it is a fact, you know? Mm-hmm. And you have lots of people who want to argue like facts over feelings. I'm like, okay, well, this thing that's not a feeling is backed up by actual numbers. It tells you that Black folks and Latina people and Indigenous people are more likely to be incarcerated for drug use Black people who use cannabis at a rate that's basically, I think, the same as white folks, Mm -hmm. I think they're, what, like three times more likely, 2.3 to three times or something like that, more likely to be arrested for cannabis use and possession. You know, that's a problem. And that's not a we're all human problem. That's a racism problem. That's a white supremacy problem. And that's something that definitely has to be confronted in cannabis because people think it doesn't exist. It absolutely does because white supremacy is what leads you to quote unquote equity in Illinois being a sham. It's the reason why people who have equity licenses in California are paying rent for, for years, two, three years it, for an empty space just to have that space because of all the red tape. Oh, wow. I'm unfamiliar with this. Yeah. What, what does this mean exactly? People who have equity licenses. So basically you have to have a, sto- a storefront um, if, if you want to do like brick and mortar yeah. um, for your dispensary. But unfortunately, there's just like so much red tape and there's not enough money in some equity programs. And it's just, it's like, it's a lot. Oh, and wow. so what happens is even people who like, again, are very knowledgeable in what it is that they do, who have gone and got the capital, you know, have the space, they have to wait because they have to make sure that they're compliant. They also, you know, there are also tax issues because the IRS, they will tax you, but you cannot get, you can't recoup anything. So like um, any kind of deductions that people usually get, yeah. cannabis companies cannot. What? I think it's um, like very limited. Like I think you may be able to get like on your point of sale items, I believe, but not. And when I say, when I say sorry, when I say point of sale, I mean like the actual like, like maybe your laptop, maybe your you know tablet. But in terms of like the um, plant itself, no. So if you're dispensed, like 
And oh my but, gosh. Yeah. Like even insurance, like let's say you're a dispensary and you get robbed, like you may be able to get like the display case, but if someone <sighs> takes the cannabis that's actually there, good luck. Um, you know. So wow. yeah, being in this industry is very volatile. Um, so I you know, the black folks and, and brown and indigenous people who get into this industry, they um they understand that and they're not asking for a handout. You know, they're basically just saying, you've received this head start that we haven't had solely based on our race, solely based on our zip code, on how much money we have. You know, mm-hmm. we want to enter, we want to, to build and grow. You know, we're getting this little boost. And it's not even, I don't even see it as a boost, really. It's, it's something that I think is owed to these folks because for no reason, again, other than race, their lives were appended one way or another and people don't, you know, fail to see the cycle. They think the cycle begins and ends at jail. And it's like, no, because people's entire families for sometimes generations are impacted by one person being incarcerated. You know, it's this ripple effect. You know, when sometimes people ask me, oh, you're in a feminist band, like when are you going to run out of things to sing about. And I say, well, the funny thing is I won't because everything, any issue you care about, anything at all that's going on, there's a feminist angle, right? Mm-hmm. There's a feminist issue. And I obviously that's true for racism. There's always some weird racist thing about anything at all that anyone cares about. And this is just, a, just another example of like, like, I don't know anything at all about this world. Um, but of course, of course, there's all these little tiny things that build up and affect uh, black and brown and indigenous people in very specific ways that white people just aren't just don't have to deal with, just aren't thrown at them. And the thing is, there's so many resources out there. I mean, Canaclusive, like, yes, going to toot our horn because you should, <laughs> you know, we don't just share pretty pictures of people. We really dive into lots of different things and different issues that affect uh, people of color um, and, and across the intersections. So men, women, uh, folks who are queer, um, you know, d- disabled, we run the gamut because cannabis, like people just don't realize like how important it is and, and has been to various communities um, at one time or another. And I'm also including like hemp in this conversation because mm. when you look at like the history um, post-slavery, one of the things that a lot of black uh, American f- farmers grew was hemp. And then, you know, the, it, it was, you know, in abundance, people were becoming successful. And then, you know, that became an issue. Um, <laughs> right. Even, Can't like, have that. <laughs> yeah. And then even when you look at like things like the racist history of watermelon, like, again, that's something mm. that a lot of black farmers were growing after slavery. So then here comes white supremacy. Let's go ahead and draw these like, you know, big white lipped black faces eating watermelon. And so they made eating watermelon like, you know, something that was um, like bad. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just thinking like, and watermelon's the best. 
obviously everyone loves watermelon what the yeah. fuck guys okay <laughs> no honestly <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't until I was in again I wasn't born here but I grew up here and so all the history that I learned was black American history I also learned some Jamaican history but obviously they were not like teaching that in classes um <laughs> to learn from my family and also like just my own research and so on and uh, reading books but it wasn't until I think I was maybe in my late 20s that I actually ate watermelon in public oh for the first time and it's because I was at the mad decent block party (laughs) and I saw this white guy eating his watermelon and I was like what the fuck (laughs) I was just like you know what (laughs) I I don't know why I was just like I was like I'm not gonna be ashamed to eat watermelon in public ever again (laughs) But it, that's what these isms do to us, though. Yeah. And, and so, like, I had already had my, well, I don't know. I feel like I've been, like, pro-Black, like, most of my life. I think there was, like, a small period of time where I was, like, not not pro-Black, but just, like, you know, I was focused on being a respectable Negro. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just, like, you know, I had already, like, you know, embraced all these wonderful things about myself. But, like, that thing, that's the one thing that like I couldn't shake because of propaganda. Yeah. I'm glad you got there. It's delicious. <laughs> yes. It is. Especially <laughs> with a little, little bit of salt. Little salt. Southerners. Yeah. Yep. Um, I, I was curious if you listened to the song, White Lies. I did. I loved it. Um, oh my gosh, you did. I had Yay. feelings and I was also, I mean, it just, um, I actually came across a post, uh, I want to say it was like yesterday, um, by someone named Donnie Rose. And it was basically just like, it's almost as if no one really stops to realize how difficult it is to be black in America, but to still persist, to create, Mm -hmm. to educate, to innovate, um, just to be while every single day you don't know if it's going to be your last. You don't know if someone else is going to be murdered by police. Mm. And then not just murdered by police, but also hear bullshit about them that's not true. And it's it's never true. That's the thing that gets me. But people will find a way to like argue it and to justify it. So when I think about, you know, obviously George Floyd's murder, Breonna Taylor's murder, um, and now Adam Toledo, not black, but a, a young man of color, mm. um, and also Dante Wright. Like, I think Dante Wright and Adam Toledo's were like the the two that like just finally broke me, mm. you know. And so to hear that song, I'm just like, I wish it wasn't relevant, but it is. So in that song. Uh, like I'm clearly focusing on the racial profiling aspect, um, cops using, you know, the idea that, no, I smelled weed to stop and arrest any person that's not white. Mm -hmm. Um, what, and while that's happening simultaneously, white people are getting approved for business loans so that they can sell weed to other white people. Um, so I was curious since you did listen to it, I was curious, one, did I get anything wrong? And then two, what what was I missing? 
Oh, I was not like necessarily analyzing it like that. I was okay. kind of like, oh, like it, it just felt that like, I mean, I think that overall, like you really captured it. Um, just the excuses that are made, the consistent state violence, you know, and, and then just like, again, that cycle. How can people listening to this help? Uh, whether they smoke or not, what what can people be doing right now? Definitely reaching out to um, their representatives, whether it's on a local or like, you know, higher state level. So like down to the person who is on your, um, oh gosh, how am I forgetting? Um, like your community board, um, mm. your assembly person, your senator, let them know that you support the legalization of cannabis, but specifically with equity provisions in mind. Mm -hmm. And that should include making sure that people who have been incarcerated have the ability to enter the industry. That's something that the uh, National More Act was not going to do. It was going to bar people who've been incarcerated from entering the industry. Mm. Um, making sure that that money goes directly to those communities that have been impacted versus going to cops to police them because that's one of the ironies of some equity programs is the cops get some get a portion of the tax revenue what yes and it's so that they can train and this that and the other but look we know that that money is going to be used to just recriminalize people and and with the new york bill we had two different versions there was one that was like governor cuomo's bill and then another one um that several um actually it was led by um senator liz krueger and uh, Crystal People Stokes, sorry, Assemblyperson Crystal uh, People Stokes, and the bill that the, um, of course, the women had, it was a lot more comprehensive, a lot more equity focused. And then the one that Cuomo had, it was just like your usual, you know, crap where basically um, multi-state organizations, um, we call them MSOs, were basically going to be able to come in and steamroll um, everyone else. And then I also know that they wanted a portion initially, um, Cuomo's bill, a portion of the money to go to the MTA for more cops. I'm just like, how does that even compute? <laughs> you know, uh, first of all, we don't need more cops. We need less cops. We need more teachers. We need more social workers. We need more hospitals. You know, we need more schools, you know, smaller yeah. classrooms. Hello. <laughs> Um, and also we definitely need to like work on, you know, making sure that people have nutritious food to eat. That's like one of the biggest things, mm. um, you know, pe kids missing that very first meal can determine how the rest of their day is going to go. And then you just keep on, you know, then it again starts rolling into that cycle. Kids are hungry. They're not paying attention in school. They get in trouble with the teacher, um, speaking of teachers, we need more teachers of color because mm -hmm. white teachers do contribute to the school to prison pipeline because they come in there with their bias and they punish black children, Latina children, indigenous children at a higher rate than they do white children. Yeah. But yeah. So making sure that they, and even if you don't smoke, you can support other people's right to smoke. Um, and it's not, it's not all just about smoking, by the way. Let me, let me dial that back for a minute because cannabis is not for everyone. There's some people who are allergic to it. Um, there's some people who just don't like it, and, and that's completely fine. 
Um, but then I also think that there's some people who have been so used to it applied in a certain way. And some of that is because of like, we, we for madness. Uh, there are people <laughs> who, well, I, there are cannabis pills, there are tinctures, there are topicals, there are sublinguals. So there are lots of different ways for people to consume um, cannabis. And um, like I use it for, for pain sometimes. So I have a topical. Um, sometimes I will uh, put a couple of drops under my tongue. Um, I also have like elevated pop rocks. I have like a wow. gang of edibles, buddy. It's really important that people actually reach out. So that means that you are calling, you are emailing. Heck, you can send a fax. There are uh, a couple of online fax items that you can mm-hmm. use. I'm forgetting the, the four-digit code that you can use via text. Basically, like ResistBot um, can aid with stuff like that. And there are a couple of other apps that let you just basically send a really quick text to your representatives. Um, all you need is like your, I think, your address and your zip code, and, and that, that's it. Because it's really important that people hear a voice. And even, you know, if you can even walk to your representative's office, like seeing your face and letting them know that you support cannabis legalization with equity top of mind, then Mm. that would be really fantastic. It's really important for white folks to show up for people of color um, for, for many ways. When you think about the cannabis industry and you think about culture, a lot of that is black culture. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you'll think about like Snoop Dogg and like Wiz Khalifa and, uh, you know, let's see, um, Al Harrington, who used to play professional uh, basketball. He is now in the industry at Biola. You think about Jay-Z who has monogram, you know, so there's a lot of black culture that goes into cannabis culture. Um, not to negate like, you know, hippies and, and so on. But when you really think about like a lot the, of the hippies are fine, we can they'll yeah. fend for themselves. It's okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you think about a lot of like black culture and then also what you were stating before um, in your song, cannabis has been used or at least the excuse that, oh, I smell cannabis mm-hmm. or like this person is supposedly on drugs or has sold drugs or something as an excuse to murder black people. So that's one of the reasons why it's really pertinent for white folks to step up. What are your hopes for legalization? Like, is there anyone doing it right? Is, or, or what's your vision for what the country should should be doing or what it should look like? Um, so as I told someone a couple of days ago, the bar for um, legalization, for equity, it is in hell. I'm sorry, what? (laughs) In hell. (laughs) Um, The closest that anyone is coming to, like, kind of getting there, um, Oakland, they have a a pretty decent equity program. But again, you know, it it still has a lot of hurdles. Oregon, um, not just with cannabis, but even with psychedelics, they're definitely working on it. Um, That's right. They're like kind of fully. Yeah. They've decriminalized um, psychedelics. Um, They're completely legal for adult use and medical for cannabis. Um, And I think there may be some other uh, drugs that they're working on. I definitely come from like a harm reduction um, mode. Mm -hmm. 
where I think it's important to meet people where they're at. Um, but at the same time, everyone who uses cannabis is not necessarily dependent on it. Um, and then there are people who may not be taking like, you know, your typical pharmaceuticals for like depression or anxiety or pain and instead are relying on cannabis, but they simply don't have a medical cannabis um, uh, license, which mm. I have like, you know, some, some mixed feelings about that. Um, because let's say in New York, even if you do have authorization to use medical cannabis, if you live in federally funded housing, you could lose your housing right. for consuming cannabis, you know? And now with our legalization laws, they're saying that, you know, I guess by the year 2022 or something, but again, <laughs> if you've been following cannabis, you'll see that like, they'll say, oh yeah, it'll, well, we're going to legalize this and then we're going to do that. And then like, you know, three years later, it's like a SpongeBob episode. <laughs> Does that feel like that, that sort of like, you know, bureaucratic left hand, not talking to the right hand, stuff does it feel like just classic slow government or does it feel purposeful to to trip people up it it does feel like it's to trip people up because what ends up happening with legalization is there tend to be a lot of challenges and the challenges always come from exactly who you expect these large companies that want to roll in and just suck everything up mm-hmm. they want the best property they want to have like all the licenses, they want everything and they don't seem to feel as if the quote unquote little people deserve more, Mm. you know? Um, They don't care about the person in government funding housing having access to their product because they want to sell it to like rich white people. Yeah, basically, basically. And that's another thing. The way that like, you know, white folks who... The word ally kind of gets on my nerves for lots of reasons sure. because I've just seen people who say that they're quote unquote allies do like absolutely like anti-black, anti-POC stuff. And then they'll have like a Black Lives Matter or like stop Asian hate filter on their Facebook quote. And I'm just like, mm, that's why I don't trust you. Um, <laughs> but what I said earlier about shopping your values, support, sorry, not support. That's also another word like I try to be mindful of how I speak because support feels more like you're doing it out of the goodness of your heart Mm. versus actually, you know, shop these BIPOC owned brands. Yeah. It should be intentional. It's it's a plan, a plan to be an accomplice. Exactly. I much more prefer people who are accomplices, not just the people who are going to throw the brick and then let black people take the fall for it. (laughs) Um, But people who are going to, you know, stand up right then and there. Um, So shopping your values. And then when you shop your values, don't be a dick about it. It's not like some badge. It, you don't deserve brownie points for it. Yeah. You know? And I think that's the biggest thing for me is when someone does the right thing, they think that they need to always be rewarded for it. It's like, unless you're saving a life, <laughs> I, I just don't know about, like, you needing, you know, an ASPAT. <laughs> and I think hopefully for anyone listening, you know, who's into our band, that this would be a, uh, 
an easy extension of hopefully what you're already doing of, of uh, buying music and media from smaller artists, independent artists, marginalized artists, um, you know, not throwing money at already rich people that don't actually need <laughs> your money, uh, you know, stream their shit and buy our shit. And, and I think that makes sense for this world too. You'd small shop small and local and, and, and marginalized to, to help even out the inequity. Yeah. And then listen to those marginalized communities. Listen, not because you want to speak back, but because you want to hear what it is that they, they're saying and you want to act on it. I get a lot of people who, you know, they're there, they see what it is that we're saying, but it's only so that they can come back and refute something. There's nothing to <laughs> refute, you know. We have tons of data on everything and anything it is that we say is advocates in terms of equity, in terms of incarceration, you know, racism in the industry and such. It, this isn't something that we're making up. Yeah. The same thing goes with, you know, the consistent state violence against people of color. This isn't something we're making up. And even when it comes to hate crimes against Asian American people, you know, what they've been showing in the media is primarily like, you know, young black kids um, or sometimes like mentally ill black people who've committed these crimes. But I know that in New York, there was a study, well, not a study. I guess there, there was data, um, I can't remember the name of the organization, but they were basically noting that half of the anti-Asian um, attacks, and this is not the recent attacks, but um, mm. prior, were committed by law enforcement. Oh. And yeah. And I so, shouldn't and sound surprised. I'm sorry for even sounding surprised. <laughs> I take well, it back. I think, <laughs> I think it's surprising to a lot of people. Because we have some people from media, like, who are, you know, film and TV stars who may not necessarily like know the um the groundwork that's been put in by mm. Asian American activists prior to them mm -hmm. who don't want policing in their neighborhoods because they know about these, you know, anti-Asian right. crimes committed by law enforcement and also because they know that when you have this show of force, it causes more harm, not just to Asian American communities, but also to others who may venture into those communities, especially if they are uh, people of color themselves. I saw the accountability list on Caniclusive, uh, which I think is really cool. Can you shout out some Black, Brown, and Indigenous-owned cannabis shops or, or companies that people should be buying from? Oh, gosh. I'm or is it like, too many? Should we just check out the list? <laughs> there's so many. Actually, what people can do is go to InclusiveBase, inclusivebase.com. And there are just, I think, maybe six or 700 um, BIPOC cannabis-owned brands that they can find. So um, should I should probably say companies instead of brands because it runs the gamut from the um, ancillary side, which is not plant-touching, to dispensaries, uh, distributors, and so on. Um, some of my favorites, let's see, for glassware, Mota Glass. Um, I also love Elevate Jane. They make really amazing glass. And Potley, they make like um, honey and, and different condiments. Um, gosh, I just feel like there's so much. The Hollingsworth. Um, 
cannabis company that's a family-owned farm. I want to say, I think they're in Washington. Mm. And then there are others that are not necessarily Black-owned, but um, they're, you know, feel more like accomplices in the space. So mm-hmm. there's, there's Besito, there is Sonder, which is owned by a really awesome queer couple, um, Khan, which is, um, I, I believe, maybe, I can't remember if like both or, or only one of the founders is um, a white uh, queer man, but like they've been really awesome with aiding Khan Inclusive and um, one of the founders, Luke, works with me at Cannabis for Black Lives. So like those are some of the folks who I feel in, are in the space, like doing really great things. But again, like Inclusive Base has just a ton of, of people who are worth shopping from. Like if you're shopping your values, if you believe that Black Lives Matter, if you want to stop Asian hate, you know, if you um, believe that we should be <laughs> abolishing the police or defunding them, then you want to sh- go ahead and, and shop those brands. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, when they hear about inclusive base, they're like, well, why don't you have white owned brands? <laughs> they're white brands are going to do okay. Yeah. They really are. I'm not worried about you know? them. <laughs> um, it's just like by virtue of, of having that leg up and it's not just, you know, a couple of years in cannabis, it's 400 years mm-hmm. of a leg up, you know, they're going to do okay. Um, and, and it, it's not going to hurt, you know? And then it's also like, if there is a white-owned dispensary, um, you know, make sure that you're doing th- things to support Black folks in cannabis. We're not saying you have to just buy a product because it's um, created by Black folks or Latina folks, Asian people, Indigenous people, but lots of these brands put out really good stuff and they are being missed out on because everyone is focused on, you know, white celebrity-owned brands. Like, yay, Martha Stewart. I like that she's so, like, put together, but Martha's going to be good on money. You know, <laughs> I like Seth Rogen and I think Houseplant is dope, but Seth's going to be good on money, you know? So support these smaller brands. I mean, it's like, <laughs> I know that like at least one, it, it's cool. Like, um, Potley, they are, uh, Asian American, but I know that like some of their honey came about because their family, like they have like this small, like honey farm mm-hmm. you know and um and, and that was cool just like how how that all came about so they have like infused um honey that's infused with both thc and then they have another one that's infused with cbd and they have another which is more sleep oriented that has cbg mm. so yeah it's um I mean, I could, I could talk about like cannabis all day. I know that like, I'm kind of <laughs> sad that I missed some names. Um, I'm actually working on a, on a roundup right now. So they can also visit Cannaclusive um, on Instagram. And, and we're going to have a roundup of um, just like a BIPOC roundup, one for like queer owned brands. And then another, I think that's probably like women owned brands in the space. Well, you know, I was just going to ask you what you're working on now and what your socials are so we could find you. <laughs> So um, you can find Canaclusive at the at sign, C-A-N-N-A-C-L-U-S-I-V-E. And you can find me, um, my personal Instagram is Ms. Goodegg, that's M-S-G-O-O-D-E-G-G. Thank you, Cassia, so much for joining me for 
illuminating these issues for us. And um, I just really appreciate your time today. Thank you so, so much. Uh, this has been really awesome. And I'm so happy that Valentina turned me on to a new band. Oh, yay. Thank you. That's nice. That was great. In case you're wondering, there is a reason we say cannabis instead of marijuana throughout the interview. According to an article in The Guardian, the word marijuana comes from Mexico. And about a century ago, prohibitionists used the, quote, exotic sounding word to emphasize the drug's foreignness to white Americans and to appeal to the xenophobia of the time. So because of its racialized history, cannabis is currently the preferred term. All right. Band interviews are coming up, but first, I'm sending the biggest thank you I can to my biggest Patreon supporters, recruits Stefan and Yulina, and meatheads Melissa, Lauren, Zachary, and Galen. And of course, our sponsor, First Defense Krav Maga. Thank you, First Defense Krav Maga. If you're not a patron, you are missing out on some very cool stuff, so here's your reminder. We have exclusive and private chats that I call meandering conversations between me and Jay Robbins from Jawbox, uh, Lauren Cashin from Sharp Tooth, Katie Otto from everything, uh, Ryan Patterson from Coliseum and Photo Crime at Autumn Lavis that you might have seen doing merch for us on a tour, and artist and musician Landis Expandis, who's the guy that made the music video for today's song, White Lies. Have you seen it? Music videos in the age of COVID just seemed incredibly daunting and difficult to us when not every one of us lives in the same town. And I don't know about you, but we were all scrambling to survive and, and, and find work. Um, so being able to hire Landis to make a video for a song that also resonates with him, well, that was an easy decision, I'll tell you. So go watch the music video for White Lies if you haven't seen it already. And if you want to hear more backstory on it, well, then sign up to be a meathead on my Patreon so you can watch my conversation with Landis Expandis, who I've seen on Facebook is now making cartoons for kids. Uh, it's super weird. Um, he's such a busy guy. Just go check out his YouTube. I don't even know all the things that he does. Also, in the last patron-only bonus episode... I think we finally solved the mystery of what the fuck is that sound during Dave's interview, uh, if you were curious. We have a request from Meathead Galen, who says, I was wondering if you could talk about how you go about getting constructive criticism, either in WOW or in other artistic endeavors. At what point in the process do you look for feedback? Who do you turn to? And how much weight do you give their critique? I think that's changed over the years. I think with age comes a little bit more self-awareness on when you need a fresh perspective or an editor. Um, and you might even need it less as you get more secure in what you're doing. Um, but, you know, with five very opinionated band members, we kind of do all our own critiquing, right? Like we don't all like the same stuff or have the same philosophies on creating. So I don't actually have to seek anything out outside our band unless I really want to, unless I'm looking for an outsider perspective. Um, and so to super simplify it, for me, I'll come up with a rough idea or rough draft of lyrics and melody. I'll edit and perfect as much as possible. And then if I'm having trouble with a part or I know like a section could be better, I'll first approach Brooks to see if he has any ideas or insight based on the actual music. You know, would a certain note 
sit in the chords better. Then, you know, we all sort of get a chance to write our best stuff and then work on making the song as a whole better together. I'd say it is a learned skill to not take things personally in the rehearsal room, right? It can be hard, but when you trust your band and uh, you know that in the end it's so we can present a song we're proud of, it, it does get easier. Um, but it's a skill to both give and get constructive criticism. I also think the studio is another step, right? So our relationship with Jay Robbins, who records most of our stuff, is that, you know, he knows he knows what our thing is, uh, and he knows uh, we we are doing our thing, but, but if something really stands out to him as missing or could be better, he'll let us know. And usually, because he gives us that initial space to do our thing, he's right. Um, but, like, if some random band we were on tour with was like, oh, you know that one song would be better if you, you know, whatever. I, I don't, I, I would not care. I literally don't want to hear it. <laughs> I don't think criticism is constructive when it's offered out of nowhere, you know. Um, it should be asked for or understood in a relationship. I, I think I got that from uh, when I went to high school. I was living in Nashville. All my friends were in bands. And they were all playing different kinds of music at all different skill levels. And that's where I learned that being asked, so what did you think of the show, is fucking awkward. Uh, so I never put people in that position unless it makes sense. Like if someone has seen us a thousand times and offers, that was a great show. I might ask them something specific like, oh, did I hit that one high note? Okay, you know, but that's it. There's a second part to Galen's question. And that's how do you go about giving constructive feedback or advice to other artists? Well, I don't, unless they ask. Then I think about what is reasonable and, and actually attainable. You know, I won't say, you guys need a new drummer or your drummer sucks, right? But I might say, you know, I don't know if that snare sound fits you guys. Uh, you know, I'm honest about it. I wouldn't say the snare thing unless it was true. Um, I don't just say something to say something. But I do try to bring an air of kindness and humility to what I'm offering. You know, just because they ask my advice, it doesn't mean I know what the fuck I'm talking about. Uh, how's that go again? Well, it has the music video, right? That uh, Landis oh, expanded. Yeah. Like, what did you think? Like, you, you don't live in Baltimore. You don't know Landis. Like, we know Landis. He's like a Baltimore staple. Um, what did you think of the video when you when you saw it uh, first? Like, what did what did you think of my harebrained idea to have uh, Landis do his thing for this video? Yeah, I thought it was a cool idea. Like, I understood. I didn't know who that was, but I understood that there was like a person who already kind of made videos and was like a, a Baltimore community member. Um, and I liked that because, I mean, we were we had to figure out how can we make some videos. They can't all be of us in separate boxes, you know. Um, right. So I thought that was a, a cool idea. And I think um, somebody in the band had brought up that that was like such an important song. Like, do we want to make a funny you know, video because it's such an important song? And I, I think that it kind of worked out because I think it it got views and like brought in like different a different audience a little bit too and um and I thought it was visually like stunning like I I like I like that style um it's cool to just I also like people covering song like for my birthday I like ask people to cover songs that I wrote so I think it's really kind of cool and flattering to see 
this other person in the video, you know, kind of a, a professional, is, is he like an actor or? <laughs> I mean, I, I guess yes, uh, because he's so great. No, I, 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 he, he's a musician. He was in the Almighty Senators. Um, he's a DJ, he's a visual artist, uh, and just all around cool dude. Right. And, and I, I think that's, you know, in my interviews with people and, and talking, talking with folks, um, I think, I think it's a really common feeling that whatever medium you might be involved in, right? You and me, we play music mostly. Um, we really admire f folks that are doing other kinds of art and, 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 and can have their take on what you do and, and that it's common to like be inspired by other people's uh, art or poetry or books or movies. And, and then you write a song about that, you know, and, and the symbiotic nature of, of everyone's inspirations going around and round and like finding new ways to be presented to people. Um, so I, I, I think that that really, I think that applies to this video of, of just really being impressed and, 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 and admiring, uh, and being like humbled and grateful that Landis would, would put his spin, right on our song with his video, with his visual art. It's just, it was just so cool to see yeah. what he came up with. You know? And digital labor is high right now. Like we all have a lot of <laughs> digital labor. So it is, it is really cool if someone takes the time to, to do that. And I think he, it made it look really cool, like way cooler than it would look for me to make the hundredth video of me at home in my bathrobe. Um, and now I remember <laughs> Why are we making videos of you in a bathroom. <laughs> what the people want. <laughs> give them what they want. Um, but now I remember that song. That's the one that's like, bah, 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 right? What? Like, <laughs> like big white lies. There you go. Yeah. So I remember recording those backup vocals in my, in my home late at night. I had like a little bit of soundproofing on, but there's the verse that, and I, I, I love the, I love it, but it's the one that's like hand out loans to light skin tones yes. um and just some of some of the lyrics i remember screaming them like so when you're recording your headphones are on so if, if oh, your neighbors yeah. were hearing you all they're hearing is the backup vocals that i scream occasionally so yes. silence 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 and then like hand out loans to light skin tones <laughs> like right. what is this person screaming about in the next house over yeah like you have to you have to give everyone a notice like uh don't worry. This is this is actually against that. You know, <laughs> like you got to give a nice big warning. Any lyrics in our band taken out of context, because you know I use a lot of sarcasm too. Uh, it's like it's gonna sound bad. <laughs> it's just gonna sound bad. <laughs> so I know exactly what you mean. I can only you know warm up before a show <laughs> with certain songs. You don't want to be singing some stuff <laughs> all on its own, right? Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that song is really rocking too. So I love the, I love the pace and I love the, you know, that it's a it's a rocker. This one I wrote pretty much top to bottom uh by myself like just demoing it into the computer. And this one came about because I'm I'm a fan of that band Gouge Away and I really liked kind of the songs that they wrote and so I wanted to try and write a song like that, maybe not write a song for them or that sounded like them, but something that sort of had the same energy or the same feel. Um, and that's where the song came from. And I, I think I literally just wrote it. I wrote all the riffs uh, 
and demoed it and it pretty much stayed the same since the since the inception you know we may have we may have shortened like the intro to the second verse or changed like where you came in with the vocals or something but um but nothing drastic i like that this song the 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 chorus part or the b the the sorry the c part is like really quiet yeah i like that that the the chorus to the song would be the quietest part of the song and then it comes back really big at the end um i like how that worked out i also like the hardcore part yeah i remember you definitely had you definitely had a vision about the c part first time around being quiet and sounding like it's Mm -hmm. in a big hall um and that that was like important to you like it was like duh that's how the part goes you know and i was like okay i guess it's (laughs) it's very it's very fugazi influence very ian mckay style um the chords and kind of the shrinking the song down to just a, a solo single guitar and voice um i'm you know that's i'm sure where i sort of got the idea or the influence from is that one of the sections where you know i i was still singing in front of um the regular mic but then there was the door was open and there was also a mic out in the big live room and so we captured both just in case well i think the first time we did it we did it that way and then I decided that I didn't like it. And so I had you go back and re-record it. But the second time I just had you stand in the, in the big live room and I set the mic about 15 feet away from you, I think. And I think we, I think we just decided that you should sing it a little differently. Yeah. Like sing it, just sing it. (laughs) Well, I think before it was a little, it was a little too rock and roll sounding for that part. Like, I think you and I just had different ideas about how that part should be. Um, and I, I kind of wanted you to sing it a little sweeter and, and sort of use the natural reverb of that big room to sort of carry it. And I, I'm real happy with the way it turned out. No, I am too. Um, I think I can, I, looking back, I, I now know that I was probably hesitant to to sing it that way because I was like, but but we're war on women. I'm, it's got to be tough. I'm, I'm mad, you know? Um, and I'm sure it was hard for me to, like, wrap my head around, like, no, this will be fine. This will be good. So uh, I'm glad we did. Yeah, I think um, I think if, you know, that's one thing that, is a little more unique about this record is there's some quieter moments on this record um, that hopefully make the bigger moments seem bigger be- yeah. in comparison. Um, I also really like the end. I really like the way the end came together. I like, I mean, I, I like the chord progression in that C section. And so it was fun to, layer more guitars over it at the end to make it a little more lush and uh i really love the drum fills dave plays at the very end um they really carry it to like the final note 
Um, I also like that the base doesn't, the base actually lands on the fifth of the ending chord instead of the, the one or the, the tonic. So it feels a little unsettled. I like that. Were you surprised that this was also chosen by the label as a song that they liked for no, a single? No, I think, I think from the beginning I knew it was a catchier song for us. And um, I, wasn't, I wasn't surprised about that. The song White Lies. White Lies. Uh, that's one we have the video for yeah. from Landis. Yeah, it's, it's so good. Hold on. All right, for those that can't see this, this uh, Sue is rocking out to this song before she talks to me about it. <laughs> and she cannot be stopped. <laughs> the song, the, 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 like, in, the like main intro riff of this song makes me think of like the Muppets. Like, you know how they dance with like flinging their arms and, like this way? Yeah. Way? That's what this, that makes me, that makes me think of for some reason. Oh, I like it. Um, <laughs> yeah, you could see them kind of yeah. bopping around. Yeah, and, yeah. and flinging. I and, like that. But definitely arm flinging is happening. Um. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, let's make another video for okay. it. Fuck it. Like, let's do it. Anybody <laughs> out there got got some Muppets lying around? <laughs> we need you. Um, um, and uh, I don't know. Like uh, again, another song I just can't wait to play live uh, because this one is a banger, and I think it will be fun. You know, um, like I can't. Uh, it's weird to think about when this song got written and yeah. what happened, like months after. You know, yeah. Um, it it almost made me feel like really weird. You know, like, uh, you're telling me, yeah, 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 yeah. I felt, I felt very, very weird about it, very strange about it. Um, and was kind of thankful that the album wasn't ready to be released mm -hmm. yet. You know, like, I, I almost, I kind of thought, you know, it's probably a good idea that there's some space. Yeah. I think, uh, and I think that that's, that's the right way to think about it. Um, I think that on the one, I I definitely agree with you. There was also a part of me though that was like, we're missing this cultural moment and we have something really relevant to say, yeah. but you know what? I think that the, like, it was better. It's better often than that there was some space, I think, between like yeah. our song. Our and, voice was yeah. not the one exactly, that was needed. Exactly, exactly, and And the, God, the end. I the last thing I would want to do is like I don't know capitalize on something like that you know right anyway right. but anyway the, but the yeah. song rips and I you know can't wait to play let's get into white lies white lies yeah um yeah I feel like it's important to say like you wrote this line about would you we politely request you get your boots off our necks before George Floyd happened, yeah. you know? Um, and that's a that's something that you never want to get right, I guess. Yeah, correct. That, that's the phrase I'm going for here. Like it, correct. You, it does not feel good to uh, predict the future in, in such a, a tragic way. Yeah. Um, and obviously, I didn't. Um, 
but I've I've spoken in interviews about how when you're when when you're singing about social uh, issues, about injustice, mm-hmm. about marginalization and violence against marginalized people, um, you you can't help but predict the future a little bit. Sure. Like it's it keeps going. It's ongoing. Right. Uh, these issues, you know, um, and so it's going. It's it's unfortunately going to be relevant until it isn't. Right. Right. Yeah, it it is it will be relevant for a long time to come. As I was saying towards the beginning, 70 million people just voted for Donald Trump. And that means that like 70 million people have those like ideals and values in mind. And that means that 70 uh, million people are not on the same page as the other 74 million people, you know, and those are just the ones who voted. Right. And so, yeah, uh, yeah, we got like a real long way to go. Um, You could probably keep writing fucked up lyrics and those things will keep on happening (laughs) (laughs) for a while. Unfortunately. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, Do you. So this this song is um, kind of specifically it touches on a few things, but it was mostly is inspired by this idea that. the cannabis industry is being whitewashed, you know, um, and white entrepreneurs are getting opportunities and business loans, uh, while black and brown people, um, men especially are being kept in jail over very, very, very small amounts or selling it on their own, you know? Um, so, and they're not being let out of jail. They're not given, uh, business opportunities. Um, and so I didn't know if you had any thoughts or um, like personal beliefs when it comes to, you know, where you buy your cannabis or. Yeah, it's the whole thing is such that? a mess. It's like when I drive down 83 South now in Baltimore at the bottom of our highway um, is a prison. And it's like the first thing you see when you drive into the city basically is this huge prison. Um, but before that, there's a billboard. And on that big billboard um, recently was uh, the, the new dispensary where you can go buy your weed, your medical oh weed, God. because weed in Maryland is now medically legal and decriminalized, right? So if you have a card, um, you can be prescribed weed, essentially, um, which is stupid. Um, for, just, like, just make it legal is what is why I think I don't think I don't think medi- I'm, yeah. like, I don't want uh, people to think that I don't think medicinal marijuana is a thing. It is. It helps. It's awesome. Just make it legal. Just make it legal for recreational use as well. Because that's not why I use uh, weed. That's not why a ton of people uh, that I know smoke weed. We smoke it because we like it. We smoke it because it makes us more creative. We smoke it because it makes music sound better and food tastes better. And it just like <laughs> makes life a little more fun sometimes, you know? Uh, yeah. I think weed is great. But it also like helps people with Tourette's and helps people with anxiety and helps people sleep and helps people have an appetite if they have cancer and helps with glaucoma and helps with all these things. Um, but the point I'm trying to make is like when you're driving down 83 and you see this giant billboard for going to buy some weed, uh, and then you drive to the right past the prison where mad black people are locked up for weed. Uh, it's a mess. It's such a mess. It's like, you can't do one without the other. You can't legalize this thing without letting all these people out of jail for this nothing crime of like having a plant on them. It's it's, it makes me so angry 
in a way that makes it hard for me to communicate. Yeah. <laughs> the, the just utter, um, purposeful, malicious hypocrisy. Yeah. Blatant racism, blatant systemic racism. Yeah. Of, of over-policing black and brown communities, finding any excuse to make arrests, Stop to disrupt this. their lives, to, to, you know, not given as much money for education or job opportunities, throw people in jail, and then, oh, now we're going to make it legal and we're going to give all the money to do it uh, to white people. Right. And, and to not reinvest in those same communities. It's, 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 it's purposeful and it's egregious and it makes me very upset that if I really started talking about it, it would be clear that I'm not an expert on the subject. I'm just passionate and it would not be, uh, it would not come out very well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like we see, we see the tides turning in a pretty big way. Like, you know, we just saw Oregon like decriminalize everything, right? Like heroin yeah. decriminalized, you know? Amazing. Um, yeah. Like I went to Denver last year and I bought weed. Like I bought weed, like I was buying weed in Amsterdam, you know, like I walked right. in and I bought some weed. I didn't like show them a medical card. I didn't, I didn't do anything. I just showed them my ID and that was it. And I had a guy walk me around this like fucking Starbucks version of a weed store, you know, <laughs> it's all done up. And he's like, you know, he's, he's my bud tender and he's like walking me through and he's like, this strain will do this and this strain will do that. And you're having, I'm having this like bougie experience, like buying weed, yeah. you know? And, uh, you know, how does like, that make you feel? I mean, it's good and it's bad, right? Like it's, it's great because I didn't have to worry about uh, going to jail, you know, like, because I, I have like almost all of my friends have been charged with possession at some mm. point because we're dumb. We're kids. We're in high school. <laughs> Where are we going to smoke? We can't smoke at home. Right. So we're going to smoke in our cars or some shit, like in the parking lot of the giant grocery store. Um, yeah. And shocker, like a cop comes and, you know, arrests everybody. Uh, so like, that's a dumb thing. Like, People should be able to just smoke some weed and chill uh, and not have the worry of being arrested. So like the legalization, decriminalization is all good. That's all a good thing. Um, but like why only in Denver, right? Like why, mm -hmm. like California, why not New York, right? Like New York, the biggest mm -hmm. city in the world, you can still fucking get arrested for like having weed. It's just mm -hmm. like such a mess. It's like we're, we're, it's a state's issue for some reason, as opposed to just a national issue. That's a problem. Locking up black people is a problem. It's all tied in. Uh, yeah, this is, I mean, I could probably talk about So you're with day, me but... on the song. Hmm? <laughs> so you're with me on the song. Yeah, yeah, I'm basically with you on the song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what's the line? Um, like big, big fat loans for light skin tones. Um, <laughs> big fat loans. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let's we'll leave it at that. I guess uh, hand, good. hand out loans to light skin tones. That's what you say. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sums it up right there. All right, that was episode six of But Her Lyrics. I can't believe I got through it. There were kids playing basketball outside basically all fucking day. Uh, so I'm glad we made it. Um, a little news. I've been booked for a ton of safer space and bystander intervention trainings for the month of May, which is awesome. Woohoo! It's my favorite thing to do. But it's enough that I cannot handle recording 
editing and promoting new episodes of this podcast at the same time. So I hope that you will grant me this birthday wish, May 21st, just saying, of being cool with me taking some time off so that I can bring my best self to all these trainings, uh, to all these projects, my partner, my dog, and my band. We just started rehearsing. And myself, you know? So I'll be back with new episodes in June. Patrons will still enjoy some fun bonus content during the month of May, so if you haven't signed up, do it now. Catch up on everything you've missed, and thank you in advance for understanding that I'm only human. Keep listening to hear the song White Lies in full. The album Wonderful Hell is available on vinyl from our Bandcamp page only right now. It's basically sold out everywhere, so if you want it on vinyl, grab it on Bandcamp. Uh, You can also grab it digitally there. Each vinyl comes with a digital download. Up to you, and it's streaming in all the usual places. Thanks to Brooks Harlan for chopping up our song Her, Her to create the podcast theme song. If you want to support this podcast or this band, uh, we'd be very grateful. So share, subscribe, and review this podcast right now. Pause it. Do it right now. No, 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 no. It's free and it helps. You can buy WOW merch from b9store.com, shirtkiller.com, and in the UK and Europe through Cortex Records and lhpmerch.com. You can buy my book, Making Spaces Safer, from akpress.org or your local independent bookstore. And it's available in Spanish from Orsini Press. And they both have e-versions. If you need a new overdrive or boost pedal designed and built by Brooks himself, head to bigcrunchamprepair.com and order one. If you want to cover our songs and and sound like us, grab one of these overdrive or boost pedals uh, because we do play uh, only Big Crunch shit. And join my Patreon to help me keep this podcast going. You can join in at the Seeds level only a dollar a month. You can you can buy a membership annually and get a discount. Uh, or you can donate more to help me reach my current goal of 100 patrons. That's all. If I meet this goal, I can pay all my guests for appearing over the entire season. I can cover supplies, both digital and physical. And yeah, I can even buy a few more dog treats for Rosie. So thanks for listening. Black lives matter. Fuck police brutality. And white people, we must get our shit together. Till next time.